It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Hi, this is Nathan. This week, we have students here for our week-long discipleship training. And as such, we've invited our staff to take the Daily Thunders this week. And so today, we have a very special guest going to talk about the parables of Jesus. Now, before we jump into today's Daily Thunder, I just want to remind you that our discipleship programs for 2021 have now been opened. So if you're interested in learning the truths of God's Word and how to practically apply those into your lives, please consider joining us throughout 2021 in one of our discipleship training programs. For more information about when those training programs are happening, whether it's the week-longs or the longer discipleship programs, please visit ellersley.com forward slash daily. Now, in today's Daily Thunder, Phil Hartman is going to be starting a new series that he's going to be doing called The Parables of Jesus. And in this session, he's going to be looking specifically at the parable of the new cloth or the new wineskins. Uh, for those of you on the podcast this morning, uh, we are doing a little bit different uh, Daily Thunder themes this week from our usual Daily Thunder themes uh, because we have students here on campus uh, for a, a week-long training. And uh, so we'll be doing something a little bit different for those of you who are used to our, our uh, World War II series or the other series with Ephesians and so on that we have going on. Uh, but turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. And uh, I'm starting a, I just finished up a series on Daily Thunder on Psalm 16, and this morning is my first message, which I'm really excited about in a series, it's going to be probably a long series, it might take me a couple years to get through it, on the parables of Jesus. And it's been a study that I've been doing with my family, uh, probably for about the last, maybe this entire year, I think we, we, were, we were reading through the Psalms together, and now this year we started going through a, a parable every week. Uh, with uh, my family, and that's been really a blessing for our family. And so as I was pondering what to dive into next of these Daily Thunder times, I decided to take uh, these upcoming times and walk through the parables of Christ, and uh, just some really rich teaching from the Word. So what we're going to do is we're going to read through uh, this parable, and, and I'll be actually walking through them in chronological order. Now, some of them we don't know exactly where to place them, so it's rough chronological order. Uh, but uh, we're going to walk through those. But this morning, we're going to be reading the parable of the, the new cloth or the new wineskins. And so we'll start in Matthew 9, then we'll read the other uh, Gospels as well that include this parable, and we'll talk about it. So Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 10, it says this, Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast so often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of a bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and the tear is made worse. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins, or else the wineskins will break. The wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Turn with me to Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 14. 
And, and some of this will be repetitive, but I want to read it because different gospels nuance different things. I call it harmonizing the gospels. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. Now, Levi is also called Matthew. So he rose and followed him. Now, it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and the Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and the sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And the disciples of John, and, sorry, why do the disciples of John and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the friends of a bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have a bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, or else the new piece pulls away from the old, and the terror is made worse. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine bursts for wineskins. The wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. <clears throat> and then lastly, turn to Luke chapter 5, and we'll read this a third time, just in case you didn't get it. Make sure you guys got it this morning. So Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 27. After he sings, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he left all, rose up, and followed him. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And their scribes and Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Then they said to him, Why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers, and likewise those of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink? And he said to them, Can you make the friends of a bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. Then he spoke a parable to them. No one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one, otherwise the new one makes a terror. And also the piece that was taken out of a new one does not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. And, and then there's this interesting statement that he makes right at the end here that's not made in any of the other Gospels. It says, And no one, having drunk old wine, immediately desires new. For he says... The old is better. Now, you have to hold on to that for a minute. He says the old is better. Isn't that interesting? He says somebody who's drank old wine, he doesn't immediately desire the new. For, for his first inclination is that the old is better. But here you have this, this thing where, where he's being criticized because he's eating with sinners. And he makes this declaration, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. I, I didn't come for the righteous. I came for the sinners. And you recognize that the pattern that they were walking in, you could call it this way, was they were drinking of the old wine. They were participating in the old garment. You could call it the Mosaic Law. And they were participating in an old system that was a system that God did give. Now, the way that they twisted it and corrupted it and the Pharisees and so on was not something that God intended. But God gave the law, and the law had a purpose. And yet that law is what we could call the old wineskin. Uh, we could also say the old man, if you want to say it that way, which is what the law exposes. You see, the old wine 
skin, the old garment, is not fit for the new thing that God was desiring to do. It wasn't capable of just bringing in and, and acclimating to the small new thing that God wanted to do. It wasn't as if God could just take the old garment and then patch it up a little bit and it would just be fine. But an entirely new wineskin, an entirely new garment was needed. And, and, and at this time, the Pharisees were not ready for that, which is why he says anybody who's drank the old wine it isn't immediately ready for the new wine because you've been tasting this old wine and that's what you're used to. Uh, but the, the old man is not capable of accomplishing what God desires to do. And neither is the law. Now, of course, the old man is corrupted by sin and the, and the law is a good thing given by God, but it's not capable of performing. And, and, and haven't we had our futile attempts, I'm sure you've experienced this, of trying to patch up your old garments? Where it's like, oh, this isn't working. Well, maybe if I get, maybe if I get an accountability program, that'll make it work. If I just, if I just talk to you know, my, my accountability partner long enough and often enough, that'll, that'll help me live in victory. Or, well, maybe if I try this, that'll work. Or maybe taste not, touch not, handle, that sounds a pretty good idea. How about I do that? Maybe that'll work. I've got to fix my old garment. And we end up with this old garment that's all these patches all over. And, and yet God says, no, it doesn't work. The terror gets worse. It's sort of like Romans 7, which is describing a man trying to live righteousness underneath the law, the old garment, the old wineskin. And what happens? It gets worse. Because the purpose of the law was never to clothe you in righteousness. The purpose of the law was to expose that, that, that the old man doesn't, can't do it. The purpose of the law was to expose what it says in Romans, the exceeding sinfulness of sin. So that we would say what the end of, of, of Romans 7 says, woe is me, right? Wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? And until we've cried that, we're not really fit to hear the good news. It's sort of like in, in Acts chapter 2 when Peter's preaching, that, that he preaches to them and he says, Jesus Christ has been made both Lord and Savior of one whom you crucified. And they go, whoa, what shall we do to be saved? It's interesting, they were the ones asking the question, right? Because the law had done its work. What was the work? It had convicted them and it had convinced them that they could not perform righteousness, that they couldn't save themselves. And, 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 and we've made these futile attempts, haven't we? To try and patch up and, and make our own quilt work of, of our own garment of righteousness. And then what Jesus says here is, until you see that you're sick, you're not ready to receive the garment that I'm ready to give you. Because the old wineskin is not fit to receive the wine. The, the, the old garment can't just be patched up. You're needing a whole new garment. You see, when we try and perform righteousness in the flesh, it's like trying to patch up that garment and make our own righteousness. And this evening, we're going to hear a sermon for, for you guys, the students. We're going to hear a sermon that's going to talk about that that, that what did the, the Israelites do? Well, they went about, because of their ignorance, trying to establish their own righteousness instead of believing and trusting in the righteousness of God. Isn't it interesting? Here we have Matthew. Jesus says, follow me. And, and what's the next statement? He rose up and followed him. He, he, he followed him. That he had left everything. He left his occupation. He left everything to become a disciple of Jesus, to follow after Jesus. And I believe that today it's possible that, that you could leave everything and abandon everything and yet still be trying in your own flesh to try and perform that which only God, through the, if you want to save a new wine, 
can do through you. But it's possible that you could abandon everything and still be trying to patch up old garments or trying to fill an old wineskin with new wine. Uh, it's interesting, you have this bit in here about fasting, right? Uh, and they say, why don't, why don't your disciples fast? And he talks about, well, they won't fast as long as the bridegroom's with them, but when I go away, they will fast. But isn't it also interesting to note that, that they actually were not equipped to perform, if you want to say, the work of God in the right way as old wineskins? Now, it's also interesting to note that the implication here is that we, those who have uh, become believers after the bridegroom has gone, will fast. Uh, it's why Jesus says, when you fast, not if you fast, but when you fast. But the fasting was not according to the fasting that they did. That's why you have this contrast, even in, in Isaiah, of the fast that they were doing and the fast that he has chosen. Two totally different types of fasting. And this isn't a sort of fasting. We don't fast like John, the Baptist disciples, fast. We, we, we fast as, as a whole different creation in Christ Jesus. You could say as new wineskins. And so in Acts chapter 2, it says this, and I'm going to start in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one, with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were those dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And he continues on, and a little ways down in, in verse 13, it says, And others mocking said, They are full of new wine. Isn't that interesting that that's what they mock him with? They're full of new wine. Now, of course, they were, they were talking about drunkenness. But it is interesting that that's what it says, because that is the reality. That, that Jesus Christ had finished his redemptive work. That, that, yeah, Levi had left everything to follow him, but that was pre-cross. He wasn't a new creation yet, which is why you see them sort of floundering and failing as disciples of Jesus. And then they're totally transformed after that work is done, and they're filled with the new wine. What did God do? Well, through the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ, they were hid in his righteousness. They were clothed in the shed work of, of his, or the work of his shed blood. And then through that, they'd become new wineskins. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, that therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That, that they had entered into Christ by faith, and then they were waiting for the gift of the Holy Spirit to be given to the church. And now the gift of the Holy Spirit has been given to the church, and, and for us to receive the Holy Spirit, what do we do? Well, we get in Christ. We become a new wineskin. And by faith, we receive the Holy Spirit. But as we hide ourselves in him and we clothe ourselves in him, we became a new creature. We became a vessel that has been fit and ready, not by our own work, but by his righteousness. Because he is Jehovah Sikhanu, the Lord who is our righteousness. And through that cleansing and righteous work of the Lord Jesus, we're clothed in his perfect righteousness and then can receive his life of perfect righteousness, the new wine. Isn't it interesting if you go, we're not going to go there just for the sake of time, uh, but the, the, the wedding at Cana, which was the first miracle of the Lord Jesus, and you have this interesting thing where they're running out of wine, 
And obviously, as hosts, that's a pretty stressful thing. I was uh, at a, a wedding with a good friend of mine over in northern India, where I spent a lot of time. And he's a pastor there, and so my wife and I went over for his wedding. And it, it was really interesting, because they would be fairly poor. And a wedding there is a pretty stressful thing. <laughs> because you have, oftentimes, at least a 1,000 people that show up, and you're expected to feed them all. And it's like a huge shame to your community if you run out of food. I mean, it's like the most devastating thing that can happen. Uh, so before, before the wedding, he was like, hey, brother, can you just pray that God will multiply the food? I don't know if we're going to have enough. And that was like this huge burden because of his shame. Well, they were running out of wine. I mean, it's this huge deal in that culture. And yet Jesus comes in, and they have new wine. And you remember what's said? They go, well, usually they bring in the best wine first, sort of an awkward statement. And then after the people are a little bit uh, intoxicated, you, you bring out the inferior wine because they don't notice it, I guess, at, at that point. But he says, but this is different. You've brought out the best wine last. And isn't it interesting here that the second wine in that miracle is the better wine? And of course, Eric has talked about firsts and seconds already this weekend. But we have the first wineskin or garment, which is unable to save. Its job is simply to point us to say there's a second one coming. It's like it talks about in Romans that the law, or sorry, Galatians, that the purpose of the law is to be a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. And once it's led us to Christ, the schoolmaster is no longer needed. Why? Because the fulfillment was in Christ. The new wine is better. You see, Jesus came because, if you want to say it this way, the old wineskin or the old garment was not sufficient. And there's a movement today to try and say, well, yeah, that's great, the work that Jesus did, but we still need to go back to the, the, the Old Testament or the Old Covenant and the law to try and sanctify ourselves. And I don't know if you guys have run into this movement, but, but there's different names for it, but it's actually becoming a fairly sizable movement, and it's a movement that the, the New Testament doesn't have a lot of grace for. It just sort of <laughs> smashes it to pieces when you, when you read through the, the New Testament. But I want to read some of these passages because it's important that we recognize that we can't try and take the new wine and fill it in the old wineskin. See, if we're trying to live according to the, the, the patterns of the law and the old man of the flesh, and we think that that's going to work, the Word of God makes it very clear that it doesn't work. Hebrews chapter 8, starting in verse 6, says this, But now he has obtained, this is speaking of Jesus and his priesthood, a more excellent ministry Inasmuch as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding a fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers and the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue my covenant. And I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. In their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. In that he says a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. And so you see this new and old. 
And the old has is, is become obsolete by the new. The old wineskin is no longer fit. It's not capable of, of, of carrying the new wine, which is the life of God indwelling the soul of man, as it were. You need a new wineskin, a better covenant, which is the covenant that's found in Christ Jesus, where it's no longer him over there in the Holy of Holies and me over here, but he says, they shall be my people and I shall be their God. And then I'm going to write my law in their hearts and I'm going to change them from the inside out. And, and it's this whole different covenant with Jesus as the mediator. You go a little bit further down in Hebrews 10, starting in verse 1, it says, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things. Wouldn't it be interesting if, if you know, imagine you're walking around a corner and the sunlight sort of uh, coming towards you, and I'm also walking around that corner, and you see my shadow before you see me. If you were to be like, oh, Philip, how are you? And I come around the corner, and I'm like, hey, I'm here. And, and you're like, still talking to my shadow? Wouldn't that be bizarre? Yeah, Paul gets really angry at that. And, and we'll get into that in the book of Galatians in just a minute. But their shadow, not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. It was just a patch, if you want to say it that way. It actually couldn't purify those who would approach. For then would they have not ceased to be offered? For a worshiper's once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take sins away. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sacrifices, sorry, um, and burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of a book, it is written to me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had I pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. But he's removed the first. He's come. He came in the body to destroy that body of death, to destroy that old man, that we might not walk in the oldness of the old man, that we might not walk according to the old, which was not able to perform righteousness, which was not able to, to fulfill the will of God, but that when the new man, through his body, that righteousness would be seen Now, if you go to Exodus chapter 31, and we're not going to spend a lot of time in this, but in Exodus chapter 31, we're given one of the reasons for the Sabbath in the Old Covenant. We're given one of the reasons for the Sabbath in the Old Covenant. And it says this, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations. What's the sign? Here's the sign. That you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Now this is one of his names, and it's Jehovah Makdishkim. It's sort of hard to pronounce, but it's fun to pronounce because there's a little spittle that sort of comes out. Jehovah Makdishkim. And Jehovah Mechadishchem is the Lord that sanctifies you, or the Lord that makes you holy. That's what sanctification is. 
is to be made holy or to be set apart. To, to not be like this world, but to be separate from it. So, so to be sanctified is that idea of becoming holy. Now, isn't this interesting that the idea of the Sabbath was to be a sign that, that they weren't striving any longer for their own sanctification, but that God himself was the sanctifier. That even his name is Jehovah Mekedishkim, meaning very part of his nature is that he is sanctifying us. That it's not me trying to just sanctify myself, but it's me, not me going, oh man, how am I going to be holy today? How am I going to try and patch up this old garment to make it work? But that he himself is sanctifying us. And of course, we know that that happened through the Lord Jesus Christ, where he washed away our sins, cleansed our conscience, and has sanctified us, and then now by his Holy Spirit, is continuing to sanctify us. Right? That, that sanctification is both in the past tense and in the future tense. That I am sanctified. Right? I, I am sanctified in Christ Jesus. Why? Because I'm clothed in his righteousness and I'm holy in him. But then on a continuing sense, in my behavior, in my life, and the patterns of my living, what is he doing? Well, he's sanctifying me by the power of his Holy Spirit. Through grace, I am learning to walk in a manner worthy of, of my calling. But I am learning to walk in this holiness. He's called the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit, meaning the one who is making us holy. He is holy. And he's making us as he is. He is the Lord who sanctifies us. So isn't it interesting if you look at the way that the Pharisees and the religious men and women of their culture took the Sabbath and they made all these rules around it? And, and, and it became, you know, I don't know if back then they had toilet paper, but, you know, you can have this many sheets. You can't tear the toilet paper off. Uh, and you can only go so far from your house and they... By their own traditions, they made void the word of God. Because what was the whole point? Well, it was supposed to be a sign that it's God who sanctifies us, which is the rest that we enter into. That we get to enter into this amazing rest in Christ Jesus. But I'm not trying to sanctify myself. I'm not trying to produce holiness in myself. Do I have a part in it? Absolutely, right? But the sort of sanctifying that I'm involved in is, is saying yes to him. And, and bending my knee to him. And saying, yes, Lord, sanctify me, cleanse me. It's, it's being a steward of his body. But, but it's he who sanctifies us, not we who sanctify ourselves. And the Sabbath was supposed to be a sign of that. Isn't that ironic? That they took what was supposed to be a sign of the Lord being the one who sanctifies. And they turned it into a self-produced effort to try and sanctify themselves. I thought there would be a great title for a book, which is Breaking the Sabbath by Trying to Keep the Sabbath. Right? Because what's the point? You know, I could studiously keep the Sabbath, but if I'm trying to do it to sanctify myself, then you recognize I've got it all upside down. I'm actually breaking what he was trying to communicate, which is that it would be a sign what? That I've rested in him. That I'm no longer striving in my own flesh against sin, but that I've rested in the work, the finished work that he has done in sanctifying and the continuing work that he's doing. In, in, in sanctifying me through his grace or the power of his Holy Spirit. And yet in our generation, there is a strange appetite, I think in every generation, we'll see this in the scriptures, for old wine still. And I, and I think that's human nature is that we have a strange appetite 
to go back to self-sanctification, don't we? There's a strange appetite to go back to the list of things that I can do to make myself right with God. There's a strange appetite for us to go back to, well, yeah, Jesus saved me, but, but I, I need to do X, Y, Z. And whether that's the law of Moses, which is a movement in our day, or whether that's some other law, right? Isn't it interesting how even the gifts of the Spirit can turn into something where it's, well, if you don't do this, 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 then you must not really be filled with the Holy Spirit. As we'll say, no, it's the Lord who sanctifies. And, 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 the, and the work that he's producing through me, what's that going to result in? It's going to result in his life being seen in and through me. So if we go to Galatians, I just want to give you a quick introduction to Galatians. We're not going to talk about it much just for the sake of time. But in Galatians chapter 6, see what, what Paul's addressing in Galatians was they had started out with this, this simple childlike faith in Jesus. And they believed in the gospel and they were walking in the gospel. And then these Judaizers came in and tried to tell them, well, yeah, 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 that's good. But you got to go back to the law of Moses to be sanctified. I mean, what you're doing is fine, but you got to go back to the law of Moses. And so that's what he introduces. And, and he's so mad in the book of Galatians. This is one of the most sound rebukes you'll ever read. It's the book of Galatians. I mean, it literally says, if somebody comes to you with another gospel, let them be accursed. And, and the statements that he makes are pretty shocking towards how bad this is. Why? Because if self-sanctification is the route of God, there was no need for Jesus Christ. If the old garment is sufficient, if the old wineskin was sufficient, then Jesus died in vain. And yet if it's not, then there's a new, which is what the New Testament lays before us. So Galatians 6, starting in verse 12, it says, As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. Well, 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 in that time, the persecution, what was it? It was this, this mocking, this persecution, this derision coming from the Jews of saying, well, yeah, yeah, but you're not circumcised. So what were they trying to do? Well, they were trying to make a fair show in the flesh. They were trying to look good in the flesh. They were trying to self-sanctify in the flesh, lest they should suffer persecution. But it says, for neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. Isn't that a lot of what it boils down to? Why we have an appetite for old wine? Because it's something I can look to that I accomplished, that I did, and say, I produce this righteousness to glory in the flesh. But he says, continuing on, he says, but God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision avails anything, nor uncircumcision. And, and keep in mind, circumcision here, he's not just talking about circumcision, but, but this is representative of the law, okay? Because circumcision was the sign of the, new, of the new, or sorry, of the old covenant, right? Remember Abraham, and as a sign, he circumcised. So this was sort of the symbol of the old covenant. He's not just talking about circumcision itself, but the whole thing, what it represents. He says, for neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature, a new wineskin, you could say, or a new garment. And so the great pain of the Galatians was that they started with Jesus Christ and Him crucified. They started with the one who's called the Lord who sanctifies us, right? Jehovah Mekadishkin. They started with their faith and their confidence in Him, 
But as they went along, they began to put their boast and their confidence in something else. And I think the greatest danger of a church today and any day is that we should start with Jesus and begin to add and pile a bunch of other things on. That we would start with Jesus and then get distracted by something else. I think probably the hardest thing to do in this world is to stick with Jesus and keep your eyes fixed upon him. Which is why you see the admonition all throughout the scriptures to look unto him and to put away distractions and not to be removed from the simplicity that's found in Christ. To not be beguiled. It says in 2 Corinthians 11, it says, But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Isn't it interesting? He calls it corruption. Distraction from Jesus is corruption. It's not just sort of something we flirt with. It's corruption. In fact, he says that what happened to Eve is what he's afraid of happening, which is that she got distracted from Jesus. Isn't that interesting that the fall, the fall started not just when she took that, that, that fateful bite, but when she became distracted from Jesus and started looking at other things. And so here the Galatians, they started in Christ. They started through the Holy Spirit. They started through this, this new wineskin, as it were. They started in, in this new clothing, which is Christ Jesus, which has cleansed us and purified us and sanctified us and, and made us new creations in Christ. Christ. And then they begin to add other things on. Yeah, Christ is good, but you need circumcision. Christ is good, but we need the law of Moses. And, and, and started adding all these other things on. To a point where, where, where Paul comes in and rebukes them and says, if, this is, if it's circumcision that avails, if you're saved by the righteousness of the law, Christ is of no good to you. They'd added on so much baggage that they'd lost sight of Jesus. Would you make Jesus and him crucified your boast? Uh, that we would freshly look to him. Uh, that, that we wouldn't try and patch up old garments. Maybe for some of us, we've been trying to live in the old man. We've been trying to live in these futile efforts of trying to produce new life through old wineskins. And then saying, Lord, I need, I, I need this new life without recognizing we need to be clothed in him. And, and, and that's where we become new creations. It's not for my own self-effort. It's through faith in Christ. That's how you get into Christ. You look unto him and he clothes you in his righteousness. And he makes you a new creature, creation or a creature. And then he entrusts his Holy Spirit to us, the new wine, in order to enable us to live out a life that is like Jesus. Which is why it says in 1 John, but he who says he abides in him ought himself to walk just as he walked. Would you make him your boast and your glory? That we wouldn't boast for glory and circumcision or, or our own deeds of righteousness, but that we would come afresh to him and glory in his work and glory in his righteousness and glory in his person, that we would rest in, in the reality of the cleansing and saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ. I read this earlier, but I just want to close with this. Again, 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's the word of God. That's truth. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this is reality. And so we hide ourselves in you this morning. Uh, we, we freshly 
reckon ourselves to be in Christ, to be dead indeed in a sin, but alive in a God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And just as we have been raised to newness of life in Christ Jesus, I pray that we would walk not according to the old man, but as new creations in Christ. Lord, we thank you for this new covenant. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that the law was given to show us the exceeding sinfulness of our sin, but that you didn't stop there, that you gave this new wineskin that we could be clothed in Christ and that Christ could dwell in us, that the very life of God might be demonstrated through us. Lord, save us from our own futile self-effort, produce righteousness. And would our glory and our boast and our righteousness be you and you alone, that it would be Christ and him crucified. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the reality of your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. And our weekend service is streamed at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.